All right, well, we are going to jump into week four of our series that we're calling His Story or History and Your Story. So His Story, the plan of God through history and your story. We're going through the Bible in eight weeks, major events and people in the Bible. So this is a big book. How far are we going to get in eight weeks? Not very far. So I want to encourage you, as I I will for this whole series, read the scriptures for yourself. Get your Bible out during the week. You know, do your Bible app, whatever you do, but be a student of the word. This week, we're going to talk about Jacob. Jacob is a very interesting character. He is the grandson of Abraham. So Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Twin boys, Esau and Jacob, Jacob the younger. This is uh, a very important person because just like Abraham got a name change from Abram to Abraham, Jacob gets a name change. God changes Jacob's name and he changes Jacob's name to Israel. So this is the man who is named Israel. So do you think this might be a significant character in the Bible if his name is Israel? So we're going to look at the life of Jacob. Let me give a quick overview of who Jacob is and things that happen in Jacob's life. And then we'll look at a couple of examples. Now, Jacob was a bit of an imperfect person. If you've studied the life of Jacob, you know he was not shy about lying. He would lie like nobody's business. His mom taught him to lie. It's really an amazing thing. So he was not a real perfect person. He made a lot of mistakes and God had a great plan for him. And God has a great plan for messed up people, but it involves not being so messed up. So Jacob had to go through a transition. He had to learn. He had to change in order to be able to step into God's true plan for his life. And so many of the events that happen in Jacob's life are events that that cause this transformation so that he truly can become who he was called to be. Now he is called in an amazing way. This is Israel. He's going to have 12 sons and those 12 sons are going to become the 12 tribes of Israel. This is a very important person. And yet he's, he's a schemer. He's a deceiver. He's just, he's pretty messed up. Again, he's the younger brother of twins to Isaac, Jacob and Esau. So he's the younger. Usually the line goes through the older, but there was a tremendous amount of favoritism and just dysfunction in Jacob's family. His mom really loved him, didn't like his twin brother. His dad really loved his twin brother, wasn't so keen on him. So it was a strange favoritism, yucky situation. And then Jacob messed with his brother. He tricked him in two ways. When Esau was famished, starving and thirsting to death, basically he wouldn't give him any food until he swore his birthright over to him. So, you know, he just basically is like, yeah, you might be starving to death. I'm not giving you any food till you give me your birthright. And he's like, well, if I'm going to die, what difference does it make? So he, he 
swore his birthright over. And that, I mean, come on. Somebody comes in just starving to death and you're like, nope, give me something first. that's, That's not a good guy. And then the next situation he does with his brother, it's time for Isaac, the father, to bless the older son. So he says to his older son, Esau, go out and hunt. He was a hunter. Go out and hunt. Cook me some game. Give me some food and I will bless you. And the mom hears this and tells Jacob and she's like, go get a goat. Tell him that you're actually the older one and, you know, clean the goat and then, and then steal the blessing. So he does. He puts on goat skins because Jacob was smooth skinned. Esau was hairy. So he goes in disguise and shows up and he feeds his father the food. And then he receives the blessing. He sneaks out and then Esau shows up and then it's all, it all comes out in the open. So Isaac, the father, it says he shook violently. He was so angry and disturbed that this had happened. Esau is just incredibly angry at his little brother who would sneak in and steal the blessing. He stole his birthright. Now he's stealing his blessing. And Esau is so angry that the scriptures say that he was consoling himself with the thought of killing Jacob. The only thing that could calm his heart was to just fantasize about murdering his brother. That was how angry he was. So Jacob's mom is like, you got to get out of here. He's going to kill you. You got to run. So he runs away. He's going to go to his uncle's place. He goes on his way as he's leaving. Of course, he has to flee with nothing. He flees with nothing in the middle of the night. He lays down on the ground with a rock for a pillow, and he has an incredible vision from God. God meets him in that place where he's fleeing for his life from his angry brother because of the the evil things that he's doing. And then he spends 20 years in exile with his uncle, his mother's brother. He gets married a few times. He has 11 kids. He prospers dramatically with his farming endeavors. There's all kinds of animals that he's able to to raise up. He's got flocks and herds and all this amazing stuff. And then 20 years later, he comes home. When he comes home, He's very nervous about reuniting with his brother. Last he heard, he wanted to kill him. So he sends all these gifts and all this stuff to his brother through some other people. He finds out that his brother's coming with 400 men, which he's a little concerned about. He thinks he's coming to kill me. So he splits his group up into two. And then he sends everybody across the river and he's by himself the night before he's going to come home and meet Esau. So that night he has a, another tremendous God encounter. After that God encounter, he reunites with his brother. His brother welcomes him. He steps back into his family line like he's supposed to. And continues to prosper. Eventually there's a famine in the land. They move to Egypt. Jacob, Israel brings his family to Egypt. They live there. And of course they stay there until they become a slave nation in Egypt. And then they have to break out of Egypt. Moses helps with that uh, 400 years or so down the road. So that's the basic 
idea behind Jacob's life. Let's look at those two major God encounters. The one where he's fleeing from his brother, where he's going to be basically exiled for 20 years. And then the one where he's coming home and what happens in those moments. Let's go to Genesis 28, starting in verse 10. This is where he's fleeing. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Have you ever been kind of in a rough spot financially? Have you ever just thought, you know what? I don't have a pillow, but this rock is going to be fine. Have you ever, you ever slept with your head on a rock? I've never done that. I've slept on the ground. Uh, you know, I've camped a lot. I've never just thought, you know what? This rock is going to be great. I'm going to get a good night's sleep with my head on this rock. But this is the best he could do. It really shows the situation that he's in. He's, he's got nothing. He has to flee. He's leaving what he knows. He's going to meet some relatives, but he hasn't met them before. And so he's really going out into the unknown. He puts his head down and he sleeps on this rock. Verse 12. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. So in this dream, this is oftentimes referred to as Jacob's ladder. He sees a connection between heaven and earth and the angels of God going back and forth. This is like a a portal between heaven and earth. And he's just amazed. Verse 13, there above it stood the Lord. I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. So this is a crisis moment for Jacob. He's fleeing from his brother who wants to kill him. And he gets this vision from God, this dream from God. And God gives him all of these promises, all of this hope that this isn't the end for him, but God's plan is still there. God's plan is still powerful for him. He's just obviously moved. I mean, if you're in this sort of a place where you're running away and God shows up and tells you all these great promises, it would just affect you incredibly. And that's what happens with Jacob. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. How often do you think that happens in our lives? That God is there, but we don't see it. We're not aware. Now, Is God here where two or three gather there? He is also, even if you go home and you're by yourself, is God there? Well, yeah, God's everywhere. Now there are these special moments when God does some things that, that we can understand or we can see, but God is everywhere. And so this idea that the Lord is here and I wasn't aware of it, I think 
applies to us so often where we're trying to get through life and we think we're alone, but God is with us. We just have to become aware of it. Jacob is made aware through this dream and he's amazed. Verse 17, he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Let's go back to verse 18. Verse 18 is a very important verse as well. Jacob wakes up the next morning. He sets up the stone that he had slept on as a pillar and he pours oil on it. What is that all about? Basically what Jacob is doing is he is making sure that he remembers what happened, that this thing that happened is significant. So he marks it. Now, If God does something amazing in your life, should you take a stone and set it up and pour oil on it? I'm not sure that's the way to do it. But let me tell you, I very much encourage you to write down the good things that God does for you. If you can make a list of the good things God has done, and then when you're in a difficult spot, when you're wondering if God is going to come through, you look at the list and you say, well, 20 years ago, God did this. And 12 years ago, God did that. And five years ago, God did this. And if you can bring those things to your remembrance, then you can have that trust in God because you'll see God's track record. So that's what Jacob is doing. He's, he's marking and remembering what happened. And that is such a powerful tool, even to this day, to mark and remember the good things that God has done. And then Jacob takes a vow starting in verse 20. Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. So he's heard the promise that God will do that, will prosper him, will make him have all these descendants and will bless all the peoples of the earth and just these incredible promises. And so Jacob is saying, if he's going to keep his promise, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. So this will be God's house. This is Bethel. And he promises a tenth. Now, the way that Jacob phrases this, of all that you give me, he says to God, I will give you a tenth. So he knows he's got nothing. He's sleeping with his head on a rock. He knows that God's promise is to prosper him. So any advancement he makes from that point on, he is believing that's God helping him out. So he is saying, whatever you give me, I will give you 
a tenth. This is where the tithe comes up. It's something that's been in the scriptures before. It was a, it was a way of showing honor to someone to give them a tenth. And so here Jacob is showing honor to God by giving, by returning a tenth. And this really shows how we are to give to God. You know, I think we need to give in faith out of reverence for God, honoring God, and then trusting God to take care of us. That's how we give. You know, we've got to pay the light bill. We've got to do all that sort of stuff with church. We've got these different things going on. We've got various expenses. But if you give to pay church expenses, that's really a shallow, unfortunate relationship with God in giving. If you give out of reverence and thankfulness and appreciation for God, and then you trust God to take care of you, you're giving in faith. That's a beautiful way to give tithes and offerings in church. So I encourage you to cultivate that type of giving relationship because it can be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Now, did God have a great plan for Jacob? Absolutely. But Jacob was putting himself in a position to mess it all up. He has to flee the the line. He has to leave his father's house. He's messing this up. But God still has a plan for Jacob, even though he's all messed up. God has a plan for you, just like God had a plan for Jacob. Now, even if you are in that same place, basically Jacob was homeless running for his life. That's a rough phase of life. If you're in a rough phase of life, God still has a plan for you. But this is going to involve you building your life, building your house on a firm foundation. Because if we set our life up to fall apart, it's not going to work. Let me put it this way. If the truth came out and that would ruin your life, you're building your life the wrong way. You know what I mean? If, if you need people to think things that are not true about you in order for your life to work, you're building your life on lies. And when the truth comes out, it's going to fall apart. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter seven, the conclusion of the sermon on the Mount, Matthew seven, starting in verse 24, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. So what Jesus is saying is if we learn the principles of God, the ways of God, and we live them out, we will face storms, we will face hardships, we will face difficulties, but it won't all come crashing down. On the contrary, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is saying it's not enough to know the principles of God. You have to live them out. It's not enough to know that lying is against the Ten Commandments. You need to not lie or else when the truth comes out, your house is going to fall. You need to live by the ways of God. Then you are on a firm foundation. 
This was something Jacob needed to learn, that he needed to make an honest living, that he needed to stand on truth rather than deception. And he has to go through some struggles to learn this. So Jacob does prosper over the next 20 years. He goes to the household of his mother's brother. So his uncle, his mother's the one who put him up to the deception of stealing the blessing from his father. And his uncle is cut from the same cloth. He sees one of the daughters of his uncle. So his cousin, and she's very beautiful. He wants to marry her. The uncle says, okay, work for me seven years and I'll give her to you as your wife. So he works for seven years and then the uncle slips in a different cousin. Can you believe that? Like, this is just bizarre stuff. So Jacob wakes up the next day after the wedding and it's somebody else. It's the sister of the one that he wanted to marry. I mean, this is some, I mean, what in the world is going on here? So then the uncle says, okay, work seven more years and you can have the other one. And so he works 14 years for Laban. His uncle has the the two wives that are sisters and then the maids of the two wives. So he's basically got four wives from how we would see it and has 11 kids, 11 sons through them. And works six more years for Laban, gathers all these flocks and herds and prospers tremendously. And then God calls him to go home. So he's prospered. He's got a huge family. He's got incredible wealth. And it's time for him to go home. God calls him home. But Jacob, even after 20 years, is still quite terrified of his brother Esau. Have you ever needed to reconcile with someone and you just weren't sure how it was going to go? And you just kind of have a pit in your stomach. And it is like, this is like that moment, just as deep as it can be. He's very concerned. He sends out some people ahead of him to make contact. And this is what happens. Genesis 32 verses, verse three through eight. Jacob sent messengers ahead of him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He instructed them, this is what you are to say to my Lord Esau. Your servant Jacob says, I have been staying. So, so Lord Esau, your servant Jacob, he's trying to humble himself before his brother. I've been staying with Laban and have remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys, sheep and goats, male and female servants. Now I'm sending this message to my Lord that I may find favor in your eyes. When the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau and now he is coming to meet you and 400 men are with him. So how does Jacob interpret that? Verse seven, in great fear and distress, Jacob divided the people who were with him into two groups and the flocks and herds and camels as well. He thought if Esau comes and attacks one group, the group that is left may escape. So he's still thinking strategically. He's like, if I just split everything up between two, they probably can only kill half of what I've got and the rest of us can escape. He's very concerned about what Esau is going to do. When he hears he's coming with 400 men, he makes the assumption that he's coming with 400 armed men that are coming to do him damage. So he is scared. And so he prays. Verse nine, next verse. Then Jacob prayed. O God of my father, Abraham, God of my father, Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives and I will make you prosper. 
I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. I had only my staff when I crossed this Jordan, but now I have become two camps. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, for I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers with their children. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. So Jacob cries out to God. And this prayer is a great prayer. Jacob humbles himself before God. He acknowledges all the good things that God has done for him. And he quotes God back to God. If you're not sure how to pray, then here's what you need to do. Read your Bible and find promises in the Bible and then quote them back to God. It's an amazing way to pray. The first prayer I ever prayed, I accidentally followed that pattern. I quoted a Bible promise to God and basically said, go ahead and keep your promise. But this is something that Jacob does. He says to God, you have said this. And basically saying, be good on your promise because I'm in a bad spot right now. So he quotes God to God. We can do that by reading the scriptures. And then we're going to skip forward in chapter 32 of Genesis a little bit. He sends everybody across. He lines up everybody. Again, he's real strategic. He breaks people into groups. And then the people he doesn't like as much, he puts in the front line. And then, and then as ones are more valuable, you know, he brings them back. And then he stays on the other side of the river that night before he's going to meet his brother Esau. And so he's by himself. This is where we picked it up. Verse 22. That night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. So he's alone, except he has this wrestling match with this man all night long till daybreak. This is a strange, strange situation. Now, Jacob is going to interpret this a particular way, and he's going to interpret it as what they call a theophany. This is an appearance of God in the world in not God form. So this very well could be Jacob actually wrestling with Jesus. It could be. It doesn't specifically say, but Jacob is convinced he's wrestling with God. It says a man, obviously in human form, Jesus is God in human form. I don't know, but he's wrestling all night long. Have you ever wrestled with God all night long? Maybe not physically, but been in turmoil and in prayer and calling out to God all night long. This is where Jacob is at. He's in incredible fear. He's got all these wonderful things that God has blessed him with. And he's afraid he's going to lose it all that there's going to be a horrible battle and that his wives and children and his possessions are all going to be destroyed. And he's just, he's in a really, really hard spot and he's wrestling with God. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, so he couldn't overpower Jacob. 
So he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. So Jacob is wrestling with this man, this parent theophany, appearance of God in human form. And Jacob is injured significantly. I think this is a lifelong injury. I think he has a limp for the rest of his life. This is a significant hip injury for Jacob, but Jacob still wrestles. He does not let him go. He keeps fighting. Verse 26. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This, by the way, is the great attribute of Jacob. You wonder, how could this guy be Israel? Well, let me tell you, he was an overcomer. He didn't quit. He, he just kept going. He didn't slow down. He didn't get all depressed. He fought through to the end over and over again. He had to learn to fight fair, to fight in godly ways, because he was fighting kind of dirty when he was younger. But he had to learn the right ways to fight. But he was an overcomer. He would not quit. And here he's been struggling all night long. His hip is seriously injured and he still won't let him go. So he asks the man to bless him. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob. He answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. Israel means he struggles with God. That's what the name Israel means. He struggles with God. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face. And yet my life was spared. Jacob wrestles with God in his great crisis. Jacob holds on to God. He wrestles with God. He will not let him go. He's been injured. He's got to be exhausted and he holds on and refuses to let God go until he blesses him. This is the opposite of what Adam did. Do you remember what Adam did after they ate the fruit? They weren't supposed to eat. God comes into the garden and Adam and Eve go hide. They run away. God calls out, they hide. God, you know, finally has to find them. Here, Jacob, in his time of need, in his time of great anxiety, in his time of tremendous fear, he holds on to God and he won't let him go. Why is that? Because Jacob knew where his blessing was going to come from. And he was not going to give up. I will not let you go unless you bless me. Now, I don't think... Jacob could out wrestle God literally. You know what I mean? I think here God was trying to see if he could get Jacob to quit wrestle with you all night long. I was a wrestler all night long is a long time. High school match is six minutes. College match is nine minutes. All night long is a long time. Wrestling with a seriously injured hip is no fun. Jacob would not quit. He would not give up. And that's, when God blessed him, he fought and didn't give up. Let me tell you this. If you are in a crisis, don't let go of God until he blesses you. This is what we need to know about 
this message. If you're in a crisis, don't let go of God until he blesses you. You know, I, I've seen two kinds of people that go through struggles and hurts. When things are bad, there's, there's two types of people. There's the people who run away from God and the people who run to God. When you're going through something difficult, run to God and hold on until you get your blessing. You know, on the other side of that, there's two types of prosperous people as well. There are the prosperous people who are thankful and honor God. And there are the prosperous people who forget about God. So we want the best of both worlds on that. If your life is going good, be thankful and honor God. Count your blessings. If it's going difficult and you're confused and unsure why things are happening the way they're happening, run to God and hang on until you get your blessing. And if you need a breakthrough, don't be afraid to struggle with God. When I was a new believer, something struck me as very, very unfortunate. And that was that I could struggle with God. I had so many questions. I was so confused about how everything was supposed to work. I could struggle with God. But if you brought those questions up in a church setting, it was not good. (laughs) People got very concerned. Let me tell you, you can ask any question of God. You can struggle with God. If Israel means he struggles with God, it's okay to struggle with God. It's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to ask God the hard questions and hang on until he gives you an answer. That is not a lack of faith. That is true faith because you know that God has the answer. God has the breakthrough. God has the blessing. So you hang on and you fight and you struggle until you get the answer. If you need a breakthrough, don't be afraid to struggle with God and don't quit until you get your blessing. This is true for us personally as individuals. Don't quit. It's true for us as a church. Let's, let's go and let's engage the Lord. There is a lot of work to be done. We cannot become complacent because the light bill is paid. We need to understand that we have to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And so we need to stay diligent. We need to struggle with God to see the breakthrough. That's true for us as a church. It's true for the greater body of Christ. It's okay to struggle with God. Just don't quit. We're going to close with Hebrews 10 39 says this, our closing verse, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Let's take that verse to heart. Jacob was given a great promise that he would have many descendants, that he would be blessed and that through his descendants, the whole world would be blessed. Here's a promise for us. If we will struggle with God and take hold of it, we are not of those who shrink back and who are destroyed, but of those who have faith and are saved. But that faith can involve struggling and wrestling with God. So let's, let's pray together. Heavenly father, you are so good. We just give you praise. Lord, for all the good things, just as Jacob set up that stone as a pillar to remember your great promise, Lord, help us to mark the good things that you've done for us, to remember those things so that we can see your mighty hand and your goodness. Praise be to your name. Lord, if we need a breakthrough to get out of a crisis moment, Father, I pray for those here that are going through a deep crisis. 
Lord, let them hang on to you, wrestle and struggle with you until the breakthrough comes, until they get their blessing, knowing that that struggle can be hard, knowing that, that Jacob, when he struggled with you, he was injured, but he got his blessing. Father, give them strength to struggle and not give up, to not fade and wilt, but to continue in faith. And Lord, for those who need a breakthrough out of complacency, out of just being content, Lord, I pray that you would give them godly goals and aspirations, but they would get to keep contentment because we know that godliness with contentment is great gain. So Lord, you don't call us into discontent, but you don't call us into complacency either. So Lord, give us the plan for advancing your kingdom, our part as a church, our part individually, and let us not let go of you until we see it come to pass. Lord, I pray you'd bless us mightily. You'd give us strength. You'd give us peace and you would help us to know your love so that we can share your love with anyone in this world that needs to know it. Father, bless us in this way. In Jesus name. Amen.